0: have been involved in personality assessments as part of job applications or maybe as team building exercises in workplaces or other organizations. I've been involved in so many of them. For example, in personality typology, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is an introspective self-report questionnaire indicating different psychological preferences and how people perceive the world and make decisions. I've consistently come out as an ESTJ over the years, which is described like this. An executive ESTJ is someone with extroverted, observant, thinking, and judging personality traits. They possess great fortitude. Empathetically following their own sensible judgment, they often serve as a stabilizing force among others, able to offer solid direction amid adversity. Executives are representatives of tradition and order, utilizing their understanding of what is right, wrong, and socially acceptable to bring families and communities together. Embracing the values of honesty, dedication, and dignity, people with the executive personality type are valued for their clear advice and guidance, and they happily lead the way on difficult paths. On the flip side, it says, the main challenge for... Ease, like me, is to recognize that not everyone follows the same path or contributes in the same way. A true leader recognizes the strength of the individual as well as that of the group and helps bring those individual's ideas to the table. That way, Ease, like me, really do have all the facts and are able to lead the charge in directions that work for everyone. Sound a little bit like me? Well, of course, some of you may have taken part in Clifton Strengths, an assessment that measures your natural patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving, categorizing them into 34 themes, of which emphasis is placed on the top five as being the key areas that bring you energy. For me, my top five are as an achiever, a learner, self assurance, futuristic, and woo, which I guess means I like to grease people and get on with them. (laughs) Sounds a little bit like me. Recently, some of our staff team have started going through something called the six types of working genius. According to its description, this model helps people discover their natural gifts and thrive in their work and life. When people are better understanding of the types of work that bring them more energy and fulfillment and avoid work that leads to frustration and failure, They can be more self-aware, more productive, and more successful, apparently. This tool suggests that my areas of working genius are as an inventor and a discerner. My areas of working competence, I can do them, are in the areas of wondering, asking questions, and tenacity, getting stuff done. And my working frustrations are in the areas of galvanizing people and empowering people. Of course, there are a myriad of other personality assessments that some of you will be familiar with. The Enneagram, for example, focuses on on the internal feelings that drive behavior, or the Berkman method that is an instrument to help better understand interpersonal dynamics and achieve higher performance through positive psychology. You know, all of these tools are new within the last 30 to 40 years. But the nature of a unique design in each of us has been around for thousands of years ever since people have been people. You'll all be familiar with Psalm 139. And if you're not, read Psalm 139 verses 13 to 18 and you'll get the idea. In his letter to the Romans that we continue to look at today, the Apostle Paul embeds this theme of our unique design but extends this to reinforce the strong biblical theme that God has given us unique giftings that are to be used for the sake of each other as we go about working together on the mission of God through the church, which is described as the bride of Christ in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. Let me remind you, like I did last week, that what's important to remember as we read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8 today, is that this letter is being written in the light of everything that we've read in Romans chapters 1 to 11 where one of the main obstacles to the growth of the church was the division that existed between Jews and Gentiles, something that Paul has been at pains to seek to rectify. Because of this, not only does the intent of these few verses today need to be considered, but some of the words that we read need to be emphasized to get the big point of what Paul is applying, a big point that is still as relevant today as it was back then. Let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 13. Immediately in verse 3, we can see Paul's continuity with verses 1 to 2 that we looked at last week, where Paul talked about offering ourselves to God as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy and that this is an act of informed worship. We know what we're doing because we've read everything in those first 11 chapters. And here in verse 3, Paul talks about thinking of ourselves with sober judgment Again, in light of those first 11 chapters, we will know that we are no better than any other person, that all people are equally loved and valued by God, and that by faith, we know that all people are offered exactly the same chance of redemption through Christ. Therefore, the faith that God has distributed to each of us is the same. It is the faith of Christ as Saviour. What you can see is a continuity of this indelibly deep theme of equality. All people created in the image of Christ to participate in God's purposes for the sake of his kingdom. Any sense of superiority for any reason is in complete opposition to the work of God. This is further emphasized in verses 4 to 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Can Paul Paul be any clearer in what he's saying to all people in the early church? I don't think so. He's driving home the unity theme by making a profound statement that as followers of Jesus, we are dependent upon each other in Christ to represent Him in the world we live. Verses 6-7 unpack what that looks like. Knocking home again that this is not just for some people. It is for all people. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it is to encourage, give encouragement. If it is to give generously, then do it. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, it's important to make what I think is a significant point here that we often overlook. In this passage, Paul identifies some particular gifts that God gives to people that are prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. But there are several other lists in Paul's letters to early churches that add to that list. In the letter that he writes to the church in Corinth, he lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 11, gifts of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, miraculous powers, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Further in that letter, in chapter 12, verse 28, he adds the gifts of helping and guidance. To the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, he talks about the gifts of apostleship and, and prophecy or evangelism, that of pastoring, that of teaching. There are about 20 different gifts in these passages, which is the point. No list that Paul makes is conclusive. No list in Scripture is bounded by a framework. They're they're descriptive enough to give plenty of ideas, but they're not exclusively the only gifts. Paul's bigger point is that we are all gifted in our own way, and no gifting is better or more important than another. I'm not sure how to drive that point home enough. Through all that Paul has been deeply concerned with for 11 chapters, his call to equality and unity and his call for followers of Jesus to accept that we are interdependent upon one another to be the church in our world is a very challenging application to embrace when by nature we want to be self-contained and selfish. Paul is calling us to something quite miraculous that we need the Spirit of God to help us with. These six short verses call us to apply the call that Paul has been making in his letter so far. He's asking followers of Jesus to do two things. Number one, find your unique gifts. The reason I read some descriptors of who I am is that there is no one quite like me, thank God. I've got some gifts for sure. In fact, I think I'm really good at some of those things that I've been able to apply for God's purposes. But I'm also, hopefully, Self-aware enough to know that I'm also pretty hopeless at some things. I don't carry all the gifts. In fact, I just carry a few. I need others around me to fill in my blanks and to do the things that I find frustrating. I mean, I love starting things, but I'm not a great finisher. I love having ideas and casting vision, but I'm not the best at getting people on board with me. I identify with a bunch of those gifts in the passages I've read, but some of them are just not What gives me energy? And each one of us is like that. Which is why we have a phrase at Windsor Park that says, no perfect people are allowed. Because none of us are. And the person that says that they're perfect, well, you know, you're you're best somewhere else, to be honest. (laughs) Imagine yourself in front of a mirror today saying to yourself, I'm a gifted person. Gifted by the creator of the universe for a unique purpose as part of his world. This passage of scripture says that to to do that is 100% theologically accurate. We are gifted. Maybe you struggle with that and you're not entirely sure what your gifts are. Well, if that's you, we'd love to invite you to participate in a a program that we have here called Discover Your Design, which helps you to discover your design. We're simple people. We like simple titles on some of our programs. We would love to offer you the opportunity to participate in that, whether it's in person or whether it's online. Just flick us a message, chat to one of our pastors, get in touch with us however you want. We'll find a way to make it happen because we believe it's so foundationally important to knowing how God has put us together. And then we can serve Him. And in that place, we can do the second thing. We can find our unique interdependence. Paul's language about the body is, again, strategically important. It's in line with a bunch of other passages we see through Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, and Colossians. This idea that we are part of each other and part of the one body of Christ is countercultural in a world where we're taught to be self-contained and self-reliant. To live by being interdependent upon one another is definitely not conforming to the pattern of this world. It is absolutely the work of the Spirit of God that transforms us by the renewing of our minds, if we are willing. I think this is perhaps the most challenging aspect of being part of the church in today's world and the West. Knowing that we are to be connected with each other because none of us have all of the gifts. It's the beauty of Christian community. It's quite possibly the most miraculous work of the Spirit that we could ask to happen amongst us. Hard? Yes. Impossible? No. Biblical? Yes. Easy to apply? No. Folks, I think one of the most visible tools that we can use to show that we believe in a God that performs miracles is finding our unique part in His creation and working with our brothers and sisters in Christ to bring about the visible presence of the kingdom of God in our world. Imagine that for a moment. It's good. It honors God. And in view of God's mercy, it's like offering ourselves as living sacrifices in an act of informed worship, which I think is pleasing to God. (laughs) Who's up for that challenge? Maybe agreeing to disagree over some stuff, but working together. That's unity in action. I previously said that Romans 12, 1 to 2 are my favorite verses. But I now wonder if verses 3 to 8 may have trumped them. Because when the application of what Paul is saying here works itself out in the church, the church becomes an agent of change in profound and dramatic ways. My hope and my prayer is that we we would find who we are, find the uniqueness of our creation, celebrate who we are, become self-aware with sober judgment of the things that, you know, don't light our fire. I am not good at all things, and neither is any one of us. But together, we do have the opportunity to grow with each other, discover the uniqueness in each other, the the beauty of God's fingerprints in our hearts, and then together be God's people working in our communities, in our workplaces in our societies, wherever we find ourselves, with each other to bring glory and honor to God. Might these verses reinforce that heart for unity that Paul has so deeply called for in the first 11 chapters of this book of Romans. Let's pray about it. Father, we are actually grateful that we're all so different. Life would be really boring if we were the same. Father, we thank you that since people have been people, you have made us all individually unique. Billions and billions of people over the years. And you're so incredibly creative that not two of us are the same. Father, in more recent times, humanity has spent a lot of time analyzing that all kinds of different psychometric tools we use these days to find out who we are, to find out our identity, our uniqueness. We thank you for those people that work in that space and for all the tools that help us look into ourselves. But credit where credit's due, this is all the work of your Spirit in us. You've created us all so wonderfully. So, Father, we thank you for this passage in Romans chapter 12 that just affirms that. It says you you give us unique bits that we can contribute to the lives of others with and father we thank you that we are all equal in this space no one gift is better than another so father help us to with sober judgment consider how you have woven us together help us to take some time to to pray through or, or to work with some of these tools that are so effective in helping us yeah, think about ourselves. Give us your spirit's wisdom to acknowledge what gives us energy and to acknowledge the areas that we struggle with. Knowing that we need others for those. So Father, help us as your sons and your daughters in the church. Help us by the power of your spirit because I think it is your spirit that can make this work and not ourselves. Help us to acknowledge that we can be better together. And that in that place you are honored and you are glorified. And the world can see a whole bunch of different people, different in their outlooks, different in their skills, different in their abilities, working together to bring about your purposes in the world. So, Father, unify us. Help us to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to work with one another, all of the one another's others of the New Testament. To show that our lives truly are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So Father, if we need to go on a journey of that, if we need to spend some time thinking about what our gifts are, then help us to have the wisdom and the tenacity and the courage to ask for help. Because together we can do a whole lot better in this space. Thank you for your wonderfully creative design. (laughs) Might we praise you and give you glory. In Jesus' name.